glad that you are here for our Christmas family service. It's so fun to have everybody together, and um, I don't know about you, but on Christmas break, I just need to do a little Starbucks run just to kind of, you know, get things going this morning. Anybody else have to stop at Starbucks on the way here? I just want to admit it. Nobody wants to admit it. Okay. Oh, all right. Maybe I saw you there. Starbucks is so fun this time of year. It's got, we've got so many fun Christmas drinks. They've got like the peppermint mocha, and they've got like roasted chestnut latte, all this kind of fun stuff. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of bummed because, you know, Starbucks used to be so great about writing everybody's name on their cup, and now they're kind of going to the computerized label system, you know, and I love when they would write that. I actually asked my barista today, I'm like, can you just write my name on my cup for me because I miss that. And it was always so fun when they would do that because you could even have fun, you know, kind of at Starbucks. Like, it would be so great. I could give them, like, a number, like, hey, could you just, I'm right number 37, and then when they call your name, they'd be like, number 37, and it would freak everybody out in Starbucks, they'd be like, what, is Starbucks going to a number system now? What is going on, right? But then you can have fun with maybe some of the names you give them. Um, these are some of the ones that people came up with. Just write yes on my cup because that's how I need to start out the day. Yes, I need coffee. Um, one guy said, I'm, I'm an alien until I get my coffee, so alien is what's going on in my coffee cup. I love this. Um, Tony Stark shows up sometimes in Starbucks. You just never know who's going to be there. Um, this next one, the, you know, the poor barista man, just trying, Melissa, how, how do you spell it? How do you spell it? Um, I, we're just going to Batman. You're Batman today, man. Uh, or, you know, sometimes when our student ministries team comes in there, Pastor Jesse, Pastor Adrian, Pastor Eric, you know, they end up going out as three superheroes. So that's just the way that they roll. Um, okay, how about this one? Voldemort. And the barista was just on it, man. Just was, you know, did not miss a beat. He who shall not be named. Um, this one, I'm angry. I'm just angry until I get my coffee. Just get it to me quick. Um, I actually stopped and I got a Pastor Eric um, a cup of coffee. I actually got hot chocolate because sometimes Eric doesn't eat coffee. But Eric, look what they did to your cup when they write his name. Instead of Eric, it ends up looking like evil. I don't know what to say about that. I don't know. Okay, here we go. Um, how about this barista just kind of gave up. I am going to spell your name horribly wrong. Just not even going to try. I don't even want to attempt this one. Or this one, I'm out of it and I couldn't write your name. They just could not give up. So uh, Starbucks is hilarious and so fun at helping us sign our names. And we love our Starbucks baristas. So if you guys are, have ever worked at Starbucks, thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you guys. You help keep us caffeinated and making it through Christmas chaos. Well, hey, if you are here for the first time in church, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. Um, if this is your first time, or maybe your first time in a long time, um, don't worry. Um, I know sometimes you show up at church and you think you're sitting in a room full of really good people, and I just want to reassure you that everybody in this room has outsinned you 10 to 1, so especially the person sitting on your left. So just feel right at home. Don't worry about it. And you have picked a great Sunday to be here because it's Christmas time and we absolutely adore Christmas time. And we're going to talk a little bit about part of the Christmas story today. And a guy named Luke, who's a physician, he's a doctor, and so he wrote a lot of detail about the description of what happened at Christmas time. And so we're going to look at one of those details that Luke writes about. And as he writes about when Jesus was born for that original Christmas, he writes about this epic event that had 
begun in the world that ushered Jesus into it. And what was happening was it was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, Rome was just dominating the planet. They were kind of in charge of so much of the territory. Their power and the control had spread deep and spread wide. And the most powerful person in the world was the Roman Emperor. His name was Augustus. They called him Caesar Augustus. And this guy, he was brilliant. He was a political mastermind. Um, He made quick decisions. He was swift, he was efficient, and he did something really significant to bring the Roman Empire together. Because before Augustus, there was also part of his his family, he was actually adopted as the heir and the son of Julius Caesar. So he kind of got got brought into the empire, but his predecessors, it was kind of a family-run business, and they got so powerful that it, it went to their heads, and they all had meltdowns in various ways and kind of lost it. So Caesar Augustus, was the guy that kind of brought the empire back together. And he did such a good job of this that he ushered in what was called the Pax Romana. Now, the Pax Romana is Latin, for it means the the age of the peace of Rome. And the Pax Romana... This is the symbol on this ring. It lasted for 206 years, this peace that was out throughout the land. Now, this term peace was kind of relative because the way that Rome kept peace was through a, a hard military hand and taxing the people. And so as Jesus was born, he was born into this time where the Pax Romana was in place, where it was happening, the peace of Rome. And what's so cool is that Jesus was born to bring bring peace into this world in a far different way than anyone had ever known. They had been used to experiencing peace through military might and through Rome taxing people. And Jesus was going to come and say that he has a kind of peace that he would be able to offer every single person. He would be able to offer this peace to you regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of your political affiliation, regardless of your economic standing, that Jesus was going to bring a peace into this world that was like nothing that anyone had ever seen. Now, this kind of peace was remarkable, and I love this idea of peace. I love this idea of peace so much. So did my husband. We actually named our third child Paxton because we love this idea of peace. It means city of peace. And so we gave him the name uh, Paxton Thaddeus because Thaddeus in Greek means courageous heart. So we named him to have a courageous heart of peace, to go out in the world and bring this kind of peace to the world. So during this piece, the Emperor Augustus, he called for a census. This was something that he took so that he could count all the people in his territory. He needed to know how many people to tax. And so it was with this tax that they would do a lot of work in Rome. They would add to their military force, and they would also shore up the infrastructure of Rome. They did such humongous building projects. And so as Augustus did this, he was the first emperor that, that offered a consistent tax on people rather than the random taxes that his predecessors had done. So Luke, as he writes the account of Jesus, he talks about this census as being significant. And it's significant because we all know the town 
of Bethlehem. We know that this is where Jesus was born, and Jesus was born there because the census had been called, and Joseph and Mary were required to go to Joseph's hometown, his, his homeland, and register for the census. So let's look at this account, Luke 2, 1 through 5. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So this census is what caused Joseph and Mary to leave Nazareth, where they were living, and travel the 80 miles on foot. So this would have been about a four- or five-day journey. Now, Mary was really pregnant, and so it may have taken them a week to go. Uh, tradition has that she rode a donkey to Bethlehem, um, which is just how every pregnant woman dreams of spending their last few days of pregnancy. So Joseph would have been asked to sign that census. So I think we've got a picture of his signature, actually. I wanted to show you up there, um, just so you can make that out. Um, okay, not really. But I, uh, I wondered if it would be fun if we put a couple of signatures from our pastors up there, just to see if Joseph's handwriting would be better than our pastors. So um, I'm going to put them up there, and then you guess which pastor you think it is, okay? So here's the first one. Oh, I heard it. I think his wife is in the house. So uh, Jay Walden, Pastor Jay. Okay, how about this one? Who's the next one? Oh, Greg Smallstadt. All right. How about this one? Oh, I think I heard it. Pastor Tomiko Chacon. Yes. Okay, next one. Oh, this is a hard one. Did I have you stumped? Eric Holmstrom. Yes. Okay, and here, last one. Oh, you guys all know this one. Okay, that's really funny because actually Glenn's handwriting is probably the hardest handwriting for us to read on staff. It gives us all kinds of um, uh, room for interpretation when we read things from Glenn, which is nice. But this is great because no, he has, what's his middle um, initial there? K, right? So when he goes to Starbucks, this is what he gets. They give him a cup and it just puts his full name on there because his middle name is Kermit. How fun is that? So great. So rad. Okay, so we don't actually have a real copy of the actual census that Joseph would have signed, um, but we do know that Rome was taking lots of census and we actually have a copy of a census from AD 104. This is a copy of a census, a papyrus that they found from a census that was taken in Egypt. Egypt by Rome. So we know that this was happening. And while Mary and Joseph were there for the census, Luke tells us that's when the baby was born. Let's finish looking at Luke 2, 6, and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So there was no room for them because the town was full. There was so many people in town because of the census. And so Joseph and Mary were ushered out back. They were put in a stable or a cave, and Jesus was born, and he was placed in a manger or a feeding trough uh, because there was no room for them to stay. They came to Bethlehem. They came into the city because they needed to be counted for Rome. Have you ever been have wanted to be counted for something important? Um, it's hard, isn't it, when you get overlooked and you feel like someone doesn't think that we count. You know, have you ever had that experience? Maybe you were up for a job and you feel like you got overlooked and that you didn't count. 
or maybe um, a relationship that didn't work out and you just didn't feel like you didn't count, or maybe you didn't get picked for the team or the group or the club or a position. I mean, there's all kinds of times in our life where we get overlooked and we don't feel like we count. But as people were signing their names on that census in Rome, a baby was being born that was going to give us the message that everybody counts, that because of this baby, because of who Jesus is, that everyone counts. You matter. You count. And maybe you need to hear that this Christmas season. Maybe you have had a year where you have felt overlooked. Or maybe at this Christmas time, it has just been crazy chaos and it has been so busy you haven't had any time to yourself. Or maybe this Christmas season's hard. You don't have a a loved one with you that you wish you were there. Or maybe you absolutely adore Christmas so much you wish it never ended. There's a lot of emotions that run high during this Christmas season. And here is the powerful message at Christmas, that this baby was born to radically change how we understand peace, to radically change that we can know peace, that we can have that peace, we can walk in that peace, we can live in that peace when we lean into Jesus. Because truly, it's not who counts you that matters. What counts is that who you can count on. And this baby would grow to be a man who would live and die so that you can completely count on him. This baby would change everything. And he would change this world to let you know that he will never, ever let you down. You can always count on him. Merry Christmas. It is so good to see all of you here. And I don't know about you, but I guarantee that you have some kinds of Christmas traditions around this season. And I'm not sure what those traditions are. And maybe you're a parent and you have traditions with your kids. And some of those you inherited, some of those are brand new. Or maybe you're with your roommates or some friends or some coworkers. There's some kind of annual gift exchange and some, some traditions. Well, this season is known for traditions. And maybe one of the traditions that is most popular and most familiar for us is the tradition of writing letters to Santa Claus. I mean, that's just kind of standard. That's what you do. You write these letters to Santa Claus. And it's one of the things we do in our home. And I absolutely love it. My wife, uh, for our kids, before they could write, she would actually kind of just write down verbatim what they would say. And then uh, now that Charlie and and Brindley can start writing, they kind of start to write their own. And before we ship them off to the North Pole, right, before we send them northward, we, uh, we take pictures of them because we want to remember them. And I just thought it would be really fun to show you some of those this morning. And then I found some really, really good ones online. So let me show you the first one that I have. The first one is Brinley's uh, second letter to Santa. So Brinley is my uh, middle child, my oldest daughter. And she wrote a letter through my wife, Sarah, to Santa. And the thing you need to know about uh, Brinley, maybe you have one of these kids, is the world revolves around Brinley. I mean, everything beats to Brinley's drum. And so uh, you can pick that up in this this letter. This is what Brindley had to say to Santa. She said, Dear Santa, thank you for giving me presents and I love you. Kind of strong for somebody she only, you know, knows or meets once a year, but that's okay. Uh, she says, bye-bye. Minnie's boutique airplane. I want a cruise ship. I love you. You love me. Okay, a little bit forceful, but okay. Uh, then this is my favorite part. You can sit on my lap. I won't sit on your lap. Okay. <laughs> 
what kid says that? But she has conditions. I appreciate that, right? She, she kind of is uh, leading this relationship. And then here's Lila's photo uh, from her Christmas from her letter this year, and you're going, why are you crying? This is the happiest time you'll see in a second. So Lila's letter to Santa this year went something like this. Dear Santa, I don't know, right? Some of us are just overwhelmed. I don't know. LOL Dolly. Do we have any LOL Dolly fans in the house? We don't have any people like LOL Dollies. Lollipop and chapstick, that's all. I want to get a lollipop. So she starts to get a little more forceful. I want to get a lollipop. Mommy, please, mama, a lollipop, right? The reason she was crying is because she thought that at the end of the letter, she was getting all that she wanted. So the reality she had to wait was not um, something she was particularly excited about. The next letter, I love this one. I love this one. I found this one online. This comes from somebody who's experienced some pain from Santa Claus, okay? This is from somebody who's, who's experienced the pain of Santa dropping the ball. Dear Santa, Santa, if you bring presents with batteries, bring batteries. <laughs> right? We've all been there. I mean, we've all been there. We're like, Santa... Look, dude, the RC car is no good without the batteries, all right, bro? I respect that kid. He, he's, he's, he's got some pain in there. Uh, this next one, I mean, welcome to the year 2018. Dear Santa, how are you? I'm good. Here is what I want for Christmas. And then he literally writes out the longest version of the URL you could find. I mean, nobody, I just feel, his parents, I don't know, like, what generation they're in, but, like, there are UL shorteners out there, you know what I mean? I mean, Amazon can, can shrink those up for you, but whatever, he, he kind of wrote them all out there. And then, and then here's the last one, I love this one. Dear Santa, I'm Jewish, but I really love you. <laughs> Somehow those are connected, I don't know. Okay, can you give me a present, though? Like, pleading with Santa, like, give me a present. If you don't know what I look like, I have dark brown hair and brown eyes, love you, and I'm nine years old. P.S. Please don't give me coal, right? Now, here's the thing. We, uh, we live in a culture of wish lists, right? I mean, this is kind of one of the things you do in the workplace or in your families. I mean, maybe you send off your Amazon wish list or you use an app like Elfster or other ones to kind of do gift exchange. I mean, wish lists are all over the place. And, and here's the scary thing about this season for many of us is we have the danger of falling into the trap of putting onto Jesus the same expectations that we have of Santa. In fact, I find this in my own life, that if I'm not careful, I begin to think that Jesus exists to fulfill all of my dreams and desires, that Jesus exists to meet all of the things on my wish list, and we approach God with that kind of relationship. But what's interesting is we are about to see is on that first Christmas, that first moment where this group of people, these wise men, meet Jesus for the first time. They don't show up saying, Jesus, what do you have for me? They show up saying, Jesus, here's what I have for you. In Matthew chapter 2, which is one of the gospel accounts, Pastor Lisa talked from the gospel of Luke. There's four of them. This is another one of them. From the gospel of Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, we find out that King Herod at that time commissioned this group of wise men to go and find this Jesus, this Messiah, this, this child that was prophesied about. And King Herod's motives are bad. I mean, King Herod wants to do away with 
with him. But the wise men, they go on this journey to find this baby. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, it reads like this. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Don't miss the emotion and the tension and the drama of this story. These wise men have been looking for a very long time. And longer than they've been looking, they've been waiting for this child because Destiny tells us big things are in store for this child, that this child will literally turn the world upside down. And so when they see the star and they recognize they are close, they are filled with joy. But it's not the kind of joy that you and I feel or you and I felt as kids on that Christmas morning going, man, what have my parents got me? It's a much deeper joy. And this is how they choose to respond. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. I mean, picture this. These are grown men. These are wise men. These are astrologers, philosophers, very educated men who find themselves in a very humble circumstance. And they are on their knees worshipping this child. But then, check out what they do. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, these wise men, they showed up not saying, what does Jesus have for us? They said, we have something for Jesus. They showed up worshiping him with gifts. Which begs the question, 2,000 years later, what is on Jesus' wish list? 2,000 years later, what is it that God desires from you? I mean, this whole holiday, this whole season is really about Jesus. Then the question is, what is it that he is looking for this Christmas? And maybe specifically, what is he looking for from you and me? Well, fast forward towards the end of Jesus' life. In the same gospel, in Matthew chapter 25, we see Jesus, he's in the middle of a pretty long sermon, and he's talking about hypocrisy, and he's talking about the temple, this giant temple that is going to be destroyed, and they couldn't even imagine that. And then he starts telling some stories about oil and gold and some things that they weren't fully understanding what exactly he was trying to say. And then, all of a sudden, he tells a story about the very end of time. He tells a story about what it will be like for those who follow Jesus, for people who have surrendered their life to Jesus, for people who have received the gift of eternal life, who have received the gift of forgiveness of all of our sins. He says this is what it will be like for them. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right. He has two groups of people, some on his left and some on his right. Those on his right are the ones who are in a relationship with Jesus and will ultimately spend eternity with him. He says this. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I mean, essentially he's saying, well done, you've made it. And then he adds this really, really interesting point. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the people in the story look to this king and go, are you kidding me? Really? In fact, that's the question they ask him. They say, then the righteous answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? They're absolutely perplexed. They don't understand what it is that he is talking about. And then the king, Jesus in the story says, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus, in this very profound moment, identifies on a very personal level with the hurting and the broken and the needy and those who don't have to give. Jesus says to these people, what you've missed is that when you were loving and serving others, because your life had been so rocked by the gospel, and don't misinterpret this, he's not talking about good works get us into an eternal relationship with Christ. He's saying these are his disciples, these are the people who their life has been so transformed by the goodness of the gospel, by the reality that God has not abandoned us, by the truth that none of us could do anything, we couldn't do enough things to earn our way into a relationship with God, that because he has extended grace towards us, because he has counted us and we can count on him, that these people have responded with arms wide open to the hurting and the broken around them and have chosen to serve and love them. Two observations about this that I think are really interesting is notice that their love for the sick and the hurting and the broken and the prisoners and the needy, their love was not motivated by what they would get out of this relationship, right? I mean, did you know, as, as they show up, as the needy show up, there's nothing that they can do to offer. In fact, in fact, they're not showing up and saying, hey, if you can give me a coat right now, I promise in two months I'll give you two coats. Or man, if you, if you provide for me right now with some food, I promise I'll pay for your meal later. No, no, no. These are people who have nothing to offer. And Jesus says that when you love them, you're actually loving me, which is the most interesting part of the story that these righteous people, they didn't even recognize it. They didn't even notice it. They didn't notice that they were loving Jesus as they were loving those who were in need. You see, Jesus, I think, is inviting you and me this Christmas to give him the greatest gift of all, And it's that first our lives would be so transformed by his forgiveness that we couldn't help but love every single person and serve every single person that we come in contact with. And some scholars have looked at this and said, well, no, actually what what it's talking about here when Jesus says the least of these, that whatever you did for the least of these you're doing for me, what it's actually talking about is, is fellow Christians. That it's actually talking about people within the church. So, so what, what some scholars would say is, as you're reading this, what Jesus is saying is, when you love and serve the people in the church, you're loving and serving me. And I think that's true, but I think that's too small of a view of God's call on your life. Because it's been my experience that every time I draw a line in the sand and say, okay, Jesus, I will love all of these people, but that group I can't love, it's when he says, I actually want you to step over the line. It's been my experience 
that when Jesus teaches about loving your neighbor, he's not just talking about the people that are closest to you. He's sometimes talking about your enemy. And so when you think of the least of these, I'm not sure who comes to mind for you, but I know that Jesus is saying, when you love and serve them, you're actually loving and serving me. That You have the opportunity to come face to face with me and love and serve me. When you are gracious and kind and loving and serving and passionate about those who can't give you anything in return. You see, Jesus is inviting you and me to see with his eyes, to feel with his heart. I, I was on a ride-along recently, um, actually just last weekend, I was on a ride-along till about 4 a.m. in the morning. I, I love ride-alongs. I think it's so great. I could never be a police officer, just the fear, but I love ride-alongs. And so I was on a ride-along with one of my friends, and, and it was a pretty quiet night till about 1 a.m. or so when all of a sudden we found ourselves in a high-speed pursuit. And we're racing down these one-way roads going about 100 miles an hour. And I, I saw my friend who's the officer kind of put his seatbelt on and his partner put his seatbelt on. And I put my seatbelt on and just kind of like held on tight. And they were kind of throwing out commands. And it was, it was this eerie sort of silence in the car. And me, I just like, I talk. That's kind of what I do inside. I just kind of, I, I didn't know what to say. And so I was like, praying for you guys. You know what I mean? Like, you're doing great, like thinking I'm going to die, right? I'm just kind of holding on for dear life. And they're calling out all these calls and trying to make it happen. I'm literally just trying to keep all the fluids inside. I mean, that's all, that's my only goal at this point. It's just like, keep it together, Eric. You know what I mean? It'll be an embarrassing ride if something happens. So we're holding on for dear life. But what was so incredible throughout this ride along was to watch this officer interact with a variety of different people. And each time, treat them with such respect and honor and dignity because they're image bearers of God. You see, Jesus is inviting every single one of us in our workplaces, in our families, in our friendships, with our husbands, with our wives, with our kids, to see like Jesus sees. So what's Jesus' wish list for you? It's this, that you would love and serve Jesus as he has loved and served you by loving and serving one another. Maybe you, like me, struggle. I, I put my love for Jesus in one basket and my love for others in another basket. And the problem is Jesus doesn't see a difference. It's just us that oftentimes do. That Jesus doesn't see a difference between the way we love him and the way we love others. In fact, he is calling us to love others as an expression of our love for him. So what does this look like? Here's four really quick ideas. Number one, our family creates these things called blessing bags. And we go to the 99 cent store and put some stuff inside of them and, and we hand them out throughout the Christmas season to people who seem like they're in need and, and people that we meet as we walk and drive around. The second thing that I want to challenge you with is maybe this Christmas, loving and serving your family is the first and most important thing you can do. Maybe there's some distance between you and your husband or you and your wife or between grandparents or between in-laws and maybe you're just loathing Christmas dinner because you know it's just gonna be so awkward. What if this Christmas God is inviting you to step across the line and to be a lover and to be a servant to them? Maybe there's someone in your life from work or from your social circles that you need to reconcile with. Some things went down this Christmas season. There were some emails sent. There was some conversations that happened that you need to talk through. 
that you need to reconcile with one another. Or lastly, maybe God wants you to go on an undercover mission of generosity. We say it, generous people transform the world. This week I got two experiences with that. There was a, a, a generous donor who came to me and said, Eric, I know this person who Christmas is just really tight for them right now, and, and they've got some kids, and I, I want to provide Christmas gifts for them. Would it be okay if I did all the shopping, gave them to you, and then you gave them to the parents? And I was like, that's the best job ever. I mean, who gets to do that? I said, absolutely, and I got to experience that and watch the way that generosity transformed a family's life. And then later in the week, I got a call from a generous donor who said, I know this, this family who Finances are really tight for them, and, and I just want to give them a lump sum of money, and, and I'll make it out in cash because I don't want them to know that it's me. Could I give you the envelope of cash, and you could give it to the family? And I was like, that is a lot for me. Like, that's a temptation, right? I mean, this is a, a lot of money. You just, it's cash, really. And I got to give it to this family and to watch, again, how generosity truly transformed a heart and a life was absolutely incredible. And so I don't know who the least of these are for you in your life, but I know they're there. And I know that Jesus is inviting you to serve and love them. And maybe, just maybe, this Christmas, Jesus has one thing on his wish list for you. And it's that you would love and serve Jesus like he has loved and served you by loving and serving one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this Christmas season that is an incredible reminder of the ways that you have loved and served us. Thank you, Jesus, that we can count on you as Pastor Lisa talked about, that you count us worthy. And thank you, Jesus, that you have invited every single one of us, whether we know you or don't, to first and foremost recognize that the greatest gift we've ever received was 2,000 years ago, the forgiveness of our sins and then this year, in 2018, you wish for us to love and serve the least of these. Because when we do that, we love and serve you. And so, God, I pray that because we've gathered this morning, that this Christmas might just be a little different and might be a little bit more like you wish it to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.